So thank you, James. Um, I want to open up with a verse. Uh, it's James 1, um, 12. And it, uh, it reads, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Um, so basically, I grew up in a Christian home in my younger years. Um, was probably at a lot of your guys' houses, hanging out with your kids, having fun. Um, really loving family. Um, I was pretty disrespectful in the classroom, and so that was always a, that was definitely a big part of my testimony. Was learning how to respect others, respect others, but especially in sixth grade is when kind of my mom was like, "Okay, I'm tired of the calls home of you crawling under desks, and we need to switch you. We need to get you somewhere else." So seventh grade, my parents decided to move me to Riviera Hall Lutheran School, and that is in Redondo Beach, and it is one of the most blessed and marked places by Jesus Christ. And there's so much love, um, and there's this one man in particular. His name was Coach King. And so what Coach King told me is he's like, Will, I love where your heart is, and I can see Jesus in your heart, but your head's like scrambled eggs. You're all over the place. I don't know what you're doing. Like, I love you so much, but I was in trouble so much. We had a Christmas musical every year, and I think I set the record detentions in the Christmas musical because I couldn't sit still, always talking. Ah, yeah, I, was, I was a funny kid growing up. <clears throat> um, but then I, it brought me to freshman year of high school, and um, the year before, I gave my life to Jesus Christ fully at Hume Lake, and it was a beautiful experience. But one thing I noticed from that experience was that coming off that mountain high, they call it, and not having that foundation set on the word and just being surrounded by people, you come off the mountain, and you're like, what's wrong with my faith? Like, I don't feel these bright lights. I don't feel this big spiritual moment. I, I learned about the Holy Spirit. What is all this? You're just, your mind is just going crazy, especially for me. And later in my story, um, I was very legalistic with my faith. And I also was pretty jealous, and I had a lot of pride, and I, I was just totally all over the place because I was chasing this experience, and I wasn't chasing Jesus Christ in his heart. Um, so then, um, being legalistic, burnt all my bridges with my friends. They partied. I didn't agree with it. Some of my friends who were like, they were like killing it, like in their leadership positions in the church, I'd, I'd get jealous, and I'd be like, oh, I want to be like that. Um, so I just wasn't a good friend, and I was just really jaded. Um, and so after that, I started to just kind of stay at home. I didn't really do much. Um, it kind of spiraled out of control into the sense where I had very bad social anxiety. I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Um, and that just rocked my world. Because growing up as a kid, I loved the life and things. I loved the joy and I loved the hope. Um, and it felt like that was stripped away from me. I'd cry almost every night. My mom would pray over me. Um, I didn't know which way I was up. I quit surfing. Um, and that was everything God gave me was in the ocean. Like I felt his presence so great there. And it was gone. It was shot. Um, so throughout high school, I'm just trying to navigate this because I'm trying to keep it together and I'm trying to, and I'd come to the river every Sunday and I'd come to youth group, um, and I'd try to put a mask on like I was doing okay, but it's by our brokenness that we are healed and we bring that brokenness to the table and that's when we find true healing. Um, and so it, it doesn't stop there though. The darkness is something that is always around us and the spiritual battle is raging. And the fact that we can stand in victory when Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross is what we can stand in. But it doesn't make it any easier or any harder because it's just there. And it's that, that's happening and that's super real. But what I want to tell you guys <clears throat> is that you can't do it alone. And when we try to do it alone, it just makes it a ton worse. And I kept it inside and I festered all these feelings and this hatred towards like myself. And I was just like, what am I doing wrong? And it's just something like, we all have our challenges and all our difficulties in life, and it's just something that we overcome. And it's just a beautiful experience seeing 
just letting the darkness into the light and I opened up to people. I put my pride to the doorstep and I was just like, I'm letting people in. I'm tired of this. Um, it's chewing up my heart. Um, so I started to let people in and that's kind of where healing came in and it's a lot of growth and it's a lot of learning. But right now I found a lot of God speaking is through people. And then I grew up in a pretty conservative, wasn't charismatic. And I would look at these people like the, talking about the Holy Spirit, and I thought it was so beautiful. And I was just like, I want to hear God's voice. Like, I want to see all these signs that all these people see. Um, and so then one day, I just had the realization, like, God, like, you're working through people. I had, like, James Pedophiles, the Windorfs, I had Kevin Dean. Um, and they just pressed into me and pressed into my heart. And so now I'm uh, leading a little youth group at the beach. It's called Church Surf. It's for um, all ages of kids, third grade and up preferably. And we're just going to meet on the beach, have guest speakers, Bible study time, small groups, and just letting kids be kids because we have a lot of pressure on ourselves growing up, especially here and in the social media age. So it's pretty beautiful watching these kids come together and just letting their guards down because that's something I wish I had. And something I wish I let myself do. So it's pretty beautiful seeing that. And I'd like to end with a quick story. And it's um, one really tough day. My mom called Kevin, Dean, and he, uh, he picked me up to surf. Had the worst session of my life. I didn't surf for like three months at that point. I, was, I quit surfing. And I get up to his apartment, and then he's like, well, what's going on? Like, you look like a mess. And I was like, I don't want to talk to you, Kevin. Like, he's the nicest guy. He's like a retriever, if you've ever met him. And he's just like... <laughs> He's just like, Will, I love you. Like, here, give me a hug. And then I pushed him against the wall, and I sprinted down the steps, and I'm running out. Kevin comes up to me with a big smile, and he's like, where are you going? And I just thought to myself, that's totally like God. Like, we try to run, and in the deepest valley and on the top of the mountain, God is there, and he's pressing into us with his love and his hope. So, yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, Will. Thanks for your honesty and your integrity and the journey, sharing the journey with us. I just love hearing a young person talk about some of the struggles that they face, the darkness. Barbara Brown Taylor even writes about kind of what, Bill, what uh, Will just mentioned, and that is, is that when you're, you are in darkness, not only to press into other people that can encourage you, but when you press into other people that you can care for, you often take the focus off yourself and onto others. That brings a great healing to your heart and your mind and your soul. And so um, we just uh, really um, um, uh, uh, honor and uh, respect a young man like that that can press into what we have been talking about for the last four weeks, and that is experiences that we have in darkness. Walking with God in the dark, that has been our series for the last four weeks, and we're finishing up this morning. If you've been with us and you've been listening along, you know that we have addressed this on various levels. First of all, we believe strongly from our key core passage in Exodus chapter 13 all the way to chapter 20 that God leads us into darkness, that God led the people to the mountain in Mount Sinai to wait for God's presence to come in the darkness. God's presence came in a cloud of darkness. Now that seems rather counterintuitive. You would think that God would come in the light, but he comes in the darkness. But he led them there. He led Moses up into a dark, thick cloud where God's presence was. 
then God spoke. It says that many times in this passage, he was speaking to them, and he spoke his word to Moses and to the people, and God will speak to us as well. Uh, we also learn that God does not expect us to go alone. And uh, Bill came last week and talked about uh, his many encounters with darkness and difficulty and how he found uh, others to be a great comfort and support in his time of darkness. Um, Parker Palmer calls it solitude and community. They aren't one or the other. We have solitude and community, and he puts those together in a book that he writes on wholeness and describes that we aren't fixing each other. We form a circle of trust around one another, not being alone, but we are alone together. So it's, a, it's an interesting idea where we gather to allow each other the space to be in solitude with God, but yet together in a circle of trust. Emily Dickinson wrote a poem called Tell All the Truth, But Tell It Slant. In other words, be easy on each other. Let's tell the truth, but tell it slant. Tell it in a way where we can understand it. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful concept. And then this morning, we want to finish up, God matures us in darkness. Going back to our original text in Exodus, where we have learned about this cloud that becomes a thick darkness where God speaks, there is one particular verse that explains the maturity process that God wants to take us through in darkness, and it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. And here it is. So it says, after speak to us yourself, we will listen, the people say to Moses, but not, not, don't let God speak to us or we will die. There was great fear over the people because of this darkness. And then Moses says to the people in verse 20, do not be afraid for God has come in order, it says, to test you. Nasof is the Hebrew word to test. It means literally to try. It, it, it also means to examine, to prove. That God came to prove their faith. And that's why he came in the darkness. So that the test or the proving of their faith may be successful. Uh, the verse goes on to say, in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may be in you, that may, it may remain in you, with you, so that you may not sin. So there's a process that God wants to take us through that only darkness can accomplish it. It's darkness that accomplishes what God wants to take you through so that your faith would be, in Hebrew, nasoth, proven, examined. Now, when the Hebrew scriptures were written in Greek during the intertestinal period, it's called the Septuagint, and that particular word is translated pyrazo. And pyrazo is a very important Greek word because this word means to test or to tempt, and we find it all throughout scripture. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. No trial has overtaken you, but is distinctly human. God is faithful. He will not let you bear or let you experience a trial 
that you cannot endure, a perazzo, a trial, a test, a temptation. Sometimes translated temptation, sometimes translated test. We find it in Hebrews chapter 11, 17. Abraham was perazzo. He was tested. He was, his faith was tested when he had to offer Isaac. James 1, 2. Consider all joy when you encounter various perazzo, perosmos, trials, tests. Various tests that we experience. So based upon context and based upon the one who is tempting or testing, we determine whether it's a temptation or a test. And we know this, the evil one tempts, God tests. That's what we know. God does not tempt, he tests. And he continues to test us. God does not want you to fail, but to succeed. And that's why he takes you through darkness. That's where he is. What I think I have learned from this whole series is that we will all go through darkness. And it's not absence from God. See, we have, we have, we have misunderstood darkness. We have kind of separated the light from the darkness. And we have said the light is good and darkness is bad. And that we are to dwell in the light and not the dark. That's true. But it's also true that there are seasons of darkness in our life. And I found it over and over and over again in Scripture. See, we, as Barbara Brown Taylor says, we've become solar Christians as opposed to lunar Christians. We want the light all the time. We want the lights on. We want it to be good. We want to be hopeful. Absolutely. These are good things. But she recommends a lunar Christianity where there are seasons of dark and there are seasons of light and there's a purpose. What I have learned from her and from the scriptures and from other readings is I need to learn how to walk in my own darkness. Abraham saw the greatest promise of all in the nighttime, in the darkness. When God said, look up and see the stars, that's how many descendants you will have. That's my promise to you. Over and over again in the Psalms, we are to meditate on our bed. When do you meditate in your bed? At night, in the dark. That's when God shows up. So we find Lamentations chapter 3, verse 6. In dark places, he has made me to dwell. You ever read that verse? In dark places. So over and over, we find it in Scripture. And what we learn in this Exodus passage, it's to nasoth, to test, to prove our faith, to substantiate our faith. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that I believe helps us understand how God proves our faith, how he does it, the process by which God matures you in a time of darkness. And I have found this passage in Isaiah chapter 50, where Isaiah, it's the third of the servant songs. These, these, these passages of scripture throughout Isaiah that describe the servant of the Lord who is the Messiah, the one to come, Jesus, who will bring hope to the hearts of the people. 
And, and four times throughout Isaiah, there's these little references to the servant of the Lord, Jesus, who will come. But in each one, chapter 42 and 50 and, and 53, excuse, excuse me, 49 as well, you see in each one, there's a brokenness to the servant. There's a brokenness. There's, there's a, he's a bruised reed. Um, he is despised and abhorred. Um, he's been beaten. He's pierced through for untransgressions. In each one of these servant songs that describe the future Messiah, we, we get the picture that he is entering into a season of darkness. Not light. That's the story of our Savior. And it's within that season comes the greatest hope, the greatest change that we can experience. And so Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 to 11, describes this one and gives us some clues as to how we get through our darkness. How do you get through darkness? How do you grow in darkness? Well, look at the servant. Here it is in Isaiah. And I'm going to be reading from, I want to read this because it's a beautiful translation. Uh, it's a new translation. And I, 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 I appreciate it. And I'm learning to appreciate this. It's called the Passion Translation. And it's, it's excellent. Uh, and I've compared it to the New American Standard and the NIV. And, I'm, I, and I appreciate this author's uh, interpretation. I think he's done a great job to uh, mirror the intention of the original manuscripts with uh, a flair of inspiration to modern kind of relevant way of thinking. And so here's what he says in verse 4. The Lord Yahweh has, he's talking about the servant. He's talking about Jesus. The Lord Yahweh has equipped me with the anointed, skillful tongue of a teacher to know how to speak a timely word to the weary. Morning by morning, he awakens my heart. He opens my ears to hear his voice, to be trained to teach. So we learn something about Jesus, how his ear is attuned to the voice of God. Keep that in the back of your mind. That's number one. Now moving forward, it says, the Lord Yahweh has opened my ear. I did not resist. I did not rebel. I offered my back to those who flogged me, my cheek to those who tore out my beard. I never hid my face from demeaning insults or those who spit on me. The Yahweh, Lord Yahweh empowers me, so I am humiliated for that reason with holy determination, I will do his will and not be ashamed. Do you sense the endurance, the perseverance of the servant? In this sense of darkness and humiliation, in misunderstanding, in a difficult season, he hangs in there. you sense that? That's number two. And then we move on to chapter 50, verse 10 and 11. And here's how it ends. Here it is. Who among you has true fear and reverence of Yahweh? Who of you listens to the voice of his servant? Are any of you groping in the dark without light? In other words, are any of you walking in the darkness without any light? Let him trust in the faithful name of Yahweh and rely on his God. But if you presume to light your own torch, you are playing with fire. Be careful. 
And so the third element is trusting in the darkness and not lighting your own way. And so we learn three things from, I believe, Jesus in this passage that will help us mature. I mean, Jesus became a disciple of God. We learn that Jesus persevered in his own darkness. And we also learn that Jesus will lead us when we go through darkness. That's where we're going. And, 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 and so we, in a sense, need to become disciples. We need to persevere as Jesus persevered. And we need to be led by Jesus in this darkness. And so let's look at these three. The first one in four and five, we learn that Jesus in Isaiah chapter 50 has the tongue of a disciple, a tongue of a learner. What does that mean? What is he referring to when he says that he, is, he has this tongue of a learner, a tongue of a disciple? Well, clearly, he's talking about the fact that Jesus himself was a disciple of God. And we know something about discipleship. We know that a disciple is a learner. He's one or she is one who learns from their master. So the key characteristic of Jesus that got him through his own darkness was the fact that he was a learner. He was a listener. He was learning, it says. And it gives us great description of this in verse 4. He's, he has the tongue of the disciple. In other words, he can speak from what he has been taught. He has the tongue of the disciple, it says, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. He could speak the word at the right time. Why? Because God awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So therefore, God has opened my ear. I will not be disobedient. We learn several things about this. But the first thing we learn is this idea, this intimate association with the master having learned what he knows. See, this is, this, is what, this is what Isaiah is trying to identify with. There's an intimate association with Jesus and God in what he's learning. I've referenced this before when I mentioned Dallas Willard's book, Life Without Lack, that there's a connection between what you learn and an experience that you have with the God who's teaching you. That it's not just an idea. John Oswald writes a tremendous commentary. And what he says here is very, very important. He says, he says this. He says, thus what is spoken of here is not merely antiseptic acquaintance with ideas. The idea of an antiseptic, meaning you just put something on it to try to uh, stop the wound from getting worse or the infection from getting worse. You're not fixing the problem. You're just trying to stop the infection. The antiseptic acquaintance with ideas surface. But a rich development of thought in the crucible of life. The development within your soul of a thought in the crucible of life that's going to begin to change you and it's going to be an encounter with him. That's what God's word is primarily. 
an encounter with the living God. And we are his disciples. And and notice that Jesus, the servant, is described as one who listens and obeys. In the Old Testament, those two are tied. To listen is to obey. It's the same word. To listen is to obey. You, You can't separate them. When you tell your children, are you listening? I want to tell you something. I want you to do something. You're asking them to listen, but you're also asking them to obey. And you know they're listening when they say, yeah, dad, and then they go off and do what you just explained them to do. Go clean your room. Go feed the dog. You know, this is your chores or whatever it is. Or be back by 11, your curfew or whatever it is. We, expect, we want them to hear, but we want them to obey. It's not just hearing us. It's the obedience that communicates the intimacy that we have in our relationship with our children. And it is true with God. And so God will use scripture. And in every season of my life, God has used scripture to have this intimate moment with him. And I can point out scripture in each of the seasons of my life that have created the intimacy, the encounter with God. Does that make sense? And Isaiah chapter 45 is one recently, verse 3. I will give you treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places. God just put that in my heart. I read that. I looked at it. I've read it over and over again. There's a a treasure in the darkness. There 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 are these treasures in secret places that God wants to give me. But he can only give those to me in a season of darkness is what he's been teaching me. Psalm 91, verse 1. Over and over again in my journal. I was um, reviewing my journal the other week over the last several months and I was just reading through all my entries starting with um, a couple days after uh, I got out of the hospital and uh, began my recovery and uh, I begin describing the event of the day that uh, my heart attack happened at, at 10 o'clock in the morning on February 22nd. I had a heart attack. By 11, Dean came over and called 911. By 11.30 or so, I was transported to St. Bernardine's Hospital Medical Center in San Bernardino. By 1 p.m., I remember looking up and seeing the clock. The catheter went into my femoral artery. Within a few minutes, my fully occluded LAD was opened. My heart attack lasted three hours, three hours that would change my life. That's how I began on 227 in my journal. And then it goes on into the state of disbelief and anxiety and fear. And I've replayed this scene over and over again in my life. And then the verses starting start coming and, 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 texts and emails and cards and and a few of them one particular person said fight to hear his voice and loving tone over you Ah, beautiful and I wrote that down another wrote in this next season of your life she calls it a third of peace or a half of peace I will be falling into a season of peace Be unhindered in your fall into grace and peace and let him adorn your head to toe in it. Yield was the word I got from a friend. 
And so I have these, and then all of a sudden, Scripture starts supporting these things. Romans chapter 1, grace to you and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 91 became another one that, that, that kind, of, kind of covered over my heart. No one who dwells, or excuse me, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That there's a relationship there of dwelling and abiding in the presence of God. That's where he shows up. And that's a verse that I find over and over and over again. And I find so many verses that have continued to minister to me. It's, just, it's what Jesus did. I mean, you think of Jesus' life. Everywhere he went and everything he did, he spoke the word, didn't he? He went into temptation in Matthew chapter 4. And out of his mouth came the word. He, he was able to push back the temptation by the word of God because he spoke the word of God. Because he knew the word of God. Very, very important. I mean, we find him entering into a synagogue and he stands up and reads the word of God prophetically speaking, this has been fulfilled in your presence. He, had, he, had, he identified the, the Old Testament scriptures with the current situation that was happening. Jesus was the one who was come to release the bondage and the slave and to release the poor. And over and over again, we find Jesus going back into the Old Testament on the cross, reciting scripture. It just came out of his life. It referenced his close association and intimacy with the Father. Second thing I've learned from this passage in Isaiah, it says in verse 6 that he perseveres in darkness as our example. Do you see that? I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. I'm not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, and I know what I have not been ashamed of. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. I mean, you sense the perseverance, the endurance of Jesus? I mean, this is the way he got through darkness. He pushed through it. And in, in the ancient Near East, it, it says that when, when you are humiliated, when you shrink back, it's a sign not only of defeat, but acceptance of guilt. But to push into the humiliation, to step out and to stand against it, in a sense, or stand in it, is a sign of strength and confidence, of grace rather than shame and guilt. And so think in your own life, as Jesus himself pushed into it, they spat on his face, Matthew 26, 67 says, and they beat him with their fists, and they slapped him. It says in Matthew chapter 5, probably Jesus himself referring to this Old Testament passage here in Isaiah 50 and looking forward to his own life, he says in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to turn the other cheek. Because Jesus did it. He endured. It's talking about our endurance. It doesn't mean that we can't protect ourselves. 
It's talking about our perseverance in a difficult time in which you experience. That's what he's referring to. Miriam Greenspan uh, wrote a book called Healing Through Dark Emotions. And one of the things she says in this book is that we have a low tolerance of sadness. We don't know what to do with it. We want to cure our pain, our sadness, our loneliness, when God really wants to grow us up through our experience of them. I wrote, we, we, we often uh, crawl into our grief and we wail against our sadness. Rather than what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote a lot about grief and suffering and death, she says the most beautiful people who have known are those who have known defeat. They've known suffering. They've known struggle. They've known loss and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion and gentleness and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Do you notice that? They are made. They are created in the crucible of darkness. When you are in total darkness and agony, what I have learned is that you cannot act. You cannot think through, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. You react. It's a time of reaction, but here's the key. You react in a way that is consistent with your heart. And where your heart is, that's what's going to come out. If your heart is filled with the word as Jesus was, the reason why he was able to stand out as they plucked his beard out is because he had the word of God in him. When they stabbed him, the scriptures came out. What comes out when you're stabbed? See, that's, you react, and what comes out of that is emotion. You emote. Jesus was jolted, stabbed, pressed into and scripture came out of his life. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this about Jesus. Under pressure, the tropes, the paradigms, the themes of scripture, even if you don't have scripture and verse on the tip of your tongue, will guide you. Morning by morning, Jesus awakes his ear to listen as a disciple. Therefore, all these ideas, these concepts, these paradigms, these tropes, they come out, you remember them. Seeking first things of above, sowing seed, walking on water, going through darkness, the idea of love, a worldview where God is always in charge. See, these are ideas that will come out when you go through darkness because you've been in the word. Does that make sense? So that's what I have learned about um, this idea of persevering. You've got to be in the word. And the third thing I learned is allow Jesus to lead you in and through the darkness. Notice 10 and 11. There's a contrast there. Who is it that fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of the servant that walks in darkness and has no light? See, it's the person who trusts the Lord who obeys the voice of his servant and walks in darkness. See, we often want to separate those two. 
We, we want to say that, that blessing brings comfort. And what we're, what, we're, what we're not seeing is that the voice of God is in the darkness and it implies an abundance of light, but there's no light there. There's only darkness. And so you say, well, God's not speaking. There's no light. I'm not hearing. But yet what we find here is this obeying the voice of God in the darkness sets us up to understand how to follow the servant in a unique way. Not walking in light, but walking into the darkness. Walking into frustration. Walking into injustice. Walking into humiliation. Walking into any kind of abuse. We have believed that blessing equals comfort. Not the way of the cross. Not the way of the servant. We find it totally different in this passage. Because notice in verse 11, but behold, all of you who light your own fire, you light your own way out of darkness. We want out so fast. And yet God is saying, stay put. I'm teaching. I want to show up. I'm present in your darkness. Don't light the way. See, God wants to say, I'm, I'm in a process of healing you. I've got it covered. I'm going to get you through this. But if you short-circuit this, then you and I are not going to have the moment that we're going to have right now together, you and me. Behold, don't kindle the fire and circle yourself with firebrands. Walk in the fire, walk in the light of your fire among the brands you have set ablaze. This, this will you have from my hand, you will go down in torment. In other words, the, the brand, the light that you light, it will burn you. It will burn you. You'll miss out. That's, that's how Isaiah is describing this. So there's a great choice that comes to you. You're serving God. You're praying, but nothing's coming out of it. Or you don't think anything's coming out of it in this season of your life. It's a season of, of dryness, of darkness, of difficulty, of questions. And yet God is present saying, now will you see me in this relationship? And, and will you understand now whether you're serving yourself or you're serving me. Do you see how many times Isaiah says, are you fearing? Are you trusting? Are you obeying? Are you listening? Do you see that? Are you in this relationship for you or are you in this relationship so that we have this relationship together and you see my way in your life? Are you willing to see my way in your life? That's what God is asking And these moments give us an opportunity to confront that question. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to continue to pray because you are God. I'm sticking with you. When the darkness comes, it will turn your heart into something special. It will. The the unflappability, the poise, the strength, the abdominal soul that comes from this great season... There's a scene in Lord of the Rings at the very end. Sam and Frodo at Mount Mordor. And Frodo's got to throw the ring into the fire to end the power struggle against good and evil. He's got to get that ring in and destroy the ring before it falls into the wrong hands. And Sam thinks it's not going to work. And Sam says, this is the end. We're going to die. Just give up, Frodo. 
And Tolkien writes, but even as hope died in Sam or seemed to die, it was turned into a new strength. His will hardened and felt a thrill. In fact, the larger reading of it is this. As the will hardened in him, he felt through all his limbs a thrill. As if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair, nor weariness, nor endless barren miles could subdue. There is a thrill. There's a remarkable thrill when you experience God in the darkness. In the moment of your greatest pain, there is a thrill that you cannot experience any other place. There's no other explanation of it. In fact, I turn to the mystics of the, 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 the first century all the way up to the 14th century. And uh, Gregory uh, Nisa, Gregory of Nisa, Gregory of Nisa, a Cappadocian father, spoke of this idea of the cloud over Moses being a cipher, a code, a mystery of how it's needed. Uh, someone wrote in the 14th century, uh, the cloud of unknowing, describing this cloud in Exodus and saying basically that the cloud is always between you and God. Why? Because if the cloud wasn't there, you would turn to your own reason and figure it out. And there's a mystery of why God is taking you through what he's taking you through. And if you remove the cloud, you become your own worst enemy. You reason and rationalize and work your way and you come up with explanations. And the mystics describe it in such a way that it's necessary. You've got to have it in place. Let me end with a story. So day three, I'm in the hospital and I'm hoping to get released. In comes the cardiologist that performed the procedure that saved my life. He spent about 20 minutes with us and uh, explained everything that just happened and what he did. And I could tell that he didn't want to leave. That he was like, he sat down and he was going nowhere. And I hit the record button on my phone to record the, la the next 20 minutes of a conversation that I had with a surgeon. Which I think is very rare. I mean, you know, to get that amount of time with someone whose time is that valuable and important to sit down with a patient in a hospital room for that amount of time is rare. And so I listened. And Denise and I were both there and, and I began describing the pain that I still have, but I think it's more about anxiety. And he said, ah. He says, what do you do, Mr. Windorf? I, I transcribed it. I'm a pastor. He goes, ah, he said, pastor, all work is stress whether you sell tomatoes or you are a pastor. In Muslim faith, he went to the University of Baghdad and earned his um, uh, medical degree and is a Muslim. In Muslim faith, in the Quran, we created the human to struggle. Life is a struggle. Even the Bible says that. If you live on the beach and look out over the ocean, each day you will have stress. And I'm thinking, I do. <laughs> the things you think will make you happy, they don't. 
How do we get through the struggle, he asked. In theory, if you believe in God and you think he is your savior, it's exactly what you preach. You should have faith in him. Wow. I believed in that moment God was speaking to me. Not knowing the kind of darkness I was about to enter in post-recovery. He was speaking through the voice of God and spoke to me to have faith. You should have faith in him. And without his permission, nothing bad's going to happen to you. If God wants you to go, you will go. If he wants you to stay, you'll stay. If you have faith, nothing's going to happen to you without permission from God. I pray every day, God, my destiny and my day is in your hands. Please be easy on me. Without God, I cannot function every day. Honest to God, he's my buddy. Before I go to work, I get up in the morning, I do my exercise, I get in my car, I say to God, my destiny, my day is in your hands. Please make it bearable. Make it so easy I can handle it. And I felt in that moment that this was the voice of God speaking through my new friend, my doctor. And it was a beautiful moment of exchange about faith and religion. And God's voice came down in the midst of darkness. And I end with this. When the word of God gets into you, in darkness, it comes out. Let's pray. Father, you've taken us through just a wonderful exploration. And yet, it doesn't answer all the questions. Tons of unanswered questions. Tons of things that we don't truly understand about why you take us through periods like, like this. But yet we know one thing and we know it's a constant in our life and that is that we are to fear you and trust you and obey you and listen to your voice as we go through a season of darkness. May we learn. May we be attentive. May we listen carefully. You're speaking to us. And I would encourage you as we approach communion that God might be speaking to you in this season through a verse, through a passage, maybe through a friend, maybe through a doctor, maybe through someone else that you've met. God is speaking. He is speaking.